Now? Oh, it is now. Well, hello again. So good to have all of you here um, for our wonderful presentation this evening. Last week, we began a series. uh, We began with religion versus spirituality, correct? And this week, we are going to dive deeper into um, exploring different Christian spiritual traditions. And we are fortunate enough tonight to have Marsha Timaeus with us. You, you are an oblate, right? I am. With the Benedictine Sisters of, at Mount St. Scholastica in Atchison, Kansas. Right. And Marcia is going to be talking with us tonight about Benedictine spirituality. So welcome, Marcia. Thank you very much. <clears throat> so I've never been live streamed before, so bear with me. Um, I will say I'm glad to see gentlemen and women here tonight uh, because it really is for everybody. How many of you are familiar with the rule of Benedict? Have done some reading? A little bit? Okay. Anyway, good evening. (laughs) Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come and speak with you a little bit about the rule of Benedict and the part that it's played in my own life. I thought I would begin by telling you how I learned about the rule of Benedict and why I chose to continue studying it over the last 20 plus years. Please know this still does not make me an expert, because it doesn't. My spiritual journey started in my home church, the first congregational church in Springfield, Vermont. That's where I grew up. Having always felt I had a friend in Jesus, I was disheartened when I was not allowed to receive communion when I, um, because I hadn't been confirmed yet. Uh, it just didn't make sense to me. I believed communion was for everyone. As I grew up, I learned some valuable lessons about acceptance and inclusion when it came to church. In 1976, while living in Connecticut, I became an Episcopalian and felt like I'd found a church home. A year later, my then husband and I moved to Overland Park, and after visiting a few churches, we joined St. Michael and All Angels. I became more involved in my community of faith, and my faith began to mature. In the late 80s, when my personal life was uh, going through some major issues and coming apart, frankly, I went on retreat with a friend of mine to Mount St. Scholastica, a Benedictine community in Atchison. It was there that I purchased my very first book about the rule, and that was uh, Seeking God by Esther DeWall, which is a wonderful place to start learning about the rule of Benedict. I got, it, it got me through a very difficult period in my life and I continued to learn about the rule of Benedict and read other authors who were Benedictines and some have been part of the Oblate community. Kathleen Norris, for example, is an Oblate. The rule of Benedict has stood the test of time and it has been a guide for me as I relearned how to look at my life as a continuous journey of learning about what it means to be in relationship with God. There are 73 rules in the book And if you just read the rule without any discussion or reflection, you may wonder why you're actually doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Esther DeWall uh, wrote extensively about the rule and says it, quote, helps us live out the ideals about which we hear from the gospel, unquote. The rule of life um, is not really a rule in the usual sense. Um, It is more of a railing to grasp onto on our spiritual journey and a guide for living an ordinary life well. 
behaving in ways that reflects just whether we are serving a meal, having a conversation, washing our dishes, doing good works just because it's the right thing to do, etc. Living out our faith in the world today requires much of us. All of us know the last several years have been exhausting, uh, just trying to maintain with all the conflict and discord and so forth. I always return to the rule just to find some stability and some balance. After studying the rule and joining a small group of laywomen, all learning about the rule under the direction of Sister Teresa Elias, she's been part of the community up there in Atchison for many years. Uh, she's a spiritual director. She's led many pilgrimages to Iona, Ireland, Scotland, and I have to say I've never been on one of those and I would love to go sometime before I'm too old to do it. Um, anyway, I decided to become an oblate in 2000, and that takes a couple of years of just studying the rule with a group of people and deciding whether or not you want to make that commitment. What is an oblate? Well, and I'm going to get into that a little bit. Um, so really, it's just someone who is studying the rule and has done what we call oblation. And that is uh, making a commitment up at Atchison in the sanctuary, and that you were committing to try to live your life by the rule of Benedict. So my oblate group does meet monthly, and we use Lectio Divina and meditation as part of our discipline when we gather. I will say a little more about that later. Uh, the rule has been in existence for over 1,500 years. It's been a guide or a rule of life for individuals seeking God in their everyday lives. Benedict wrote the rule to regulate the life of his monks living in community. A rule of life was common in the 6th century for monasteries. There's a great deal about St. Benedict and his twin sister, St. Scholastica, online, so I'm not going to go into all the history of that, so this will give you some homework to do after you leave tonight. <laughs> so why is it relevant today? The wisdom of the rule of Benedict has been relevant century after century, and it is relevant today. Its flexibility, its tolerance for individual differences, and its openness to change while doing our best to listen to the voice of God, or, quote, listening with the ear of your heart, as Sister Joan Chittister would put it, helps us to live an ordinary life extraordinarily. It takes work and it takes commitment, and I confess I often fail, probably every day. Also, the rule is very ecumenical because it speaks to many. Benedict wrote for what we we call today the undivided church, and there's a lot of division in our churches today. I don't care whatever denomination, there's just a lot of division, unfortunately. Excuse me. I'm sure there's a better way to do this. <laughs> so why should we study the rule? It provides a rule of life for monastics in work, prayer, contemplation, and balance in their daily life. All service in the community is valued and treated with dignity. Uh, and respect from manual labor. can be gardening, doing the dishes, planning the menu, any, any task, whatever it is in a monastery is treated with dignity and respect. They all have value. I look at my house cleaning differently than I did when I uh, knew nothing about the rule of Benedict. In fact, growing up, I remember my grandmother just loved to do the dishes. And uh, whenever we had a big family meal, she insisted on always doing the dishes, and she was very slow at doing the dishes. She was also very slow at eating dinner. <laughs> she was the last one to finish. But I know why now. For her, it was a form of prayer. 
Uh, and I believe that goes hand in hand with Celtic spirituality as well. You know, what you do in your daily lives is, is in many ways, a prayer. Um, the prologue to the rule of Benedict says, quote, as we progress in this way of life and in faith, we shall run on the path of God's commandments, our hearts overflowing with the inexpressible delight of love, unquote. It's just a very small part of it. And Sister Therese Elias, our oblate deanery's director and mentor, believes this expresses so well how strongly Benedict felt that if we follow this way, we'll be led to the deepest joy one can know on this side of heaven. <coughs> you may already know this, but the Benedictine spirit is at the root of Anglican prayer with the daily office and psalms as found in the Book of Common Prayer. Thomas Cranmer, the archbishop, Bishop of Canterbury from 1533 to 1556 gave us the first book of common prayer in 1549 and you probably all know that already as Episcopalians. In the book Seeking God, Esther DeWall does a wonderful job writing about the rule and uh, it is a good way to begin studying the rule. Also Joan Chittister, a prolific writer on the rule and many other things, has written many books uh, refers to the steps of humility as Benedict's Magna Carta because it, quote, directs us to begin the spiritual life by knowing our place in the universe, our connectedness, our dependence on God for the little greatness we have. No spiritual maturity can be achieved independent of a sense of God's role in our development, unquote. So this is the first book I had. This is actually the second rule book I have. The first one is, it's practically destroyed. So um, this is my second copy. And there's been a new um, updated version that's listed on your, um, one of your handouts. I would like you to take a look at the bookmark. I um, <coughs> thought that would be a good way to have that handout. The picture on the top of it is from one of the stained glass windows in the chapel at Mount St. Scholastica, which the windows up there is absolutely, they're incredible. And the rose window at the back of the chapel is absolutely beautiful. Has anybody been up there to the mount? Oh, good. <laughs> so maybe you could give this talk for me. <laughs> So um, Joan Chittister has done a wonderful job uh, going through the steps of humility. There are 12 steps, and it really is a wonderful uh, resource just to um, try to help keep us on track. I think humility is a lost form of whatever. Um, there's not a lot of that going around, and I think it's very difficult to achieve. So anyway, the bookmark has uh, I, just a little capsule of each one of those on the front. So the first one is remembering God is God. And uh, oh, okay, there, there's a couple over here. Um, the first rung of the ladder of humility is obedience. And quote, the word obedience shares a common root with the Latin word for listening. Benedict is always pointing us toward mindfulness. And I do have a variety of quotes throughout this talk. Um, quote, the practices of humility are aimed at learning to make conscious choices to do what is right at times when we might want to do otherwise, unquote. So that's a quote from Joan Chittister. She um, does a wonderful job uh, reflecting on each of the um, steps of humility along with all the rules in um, uh, the rule of St. Benedict, which really makes it accessible to all of us. The second step is know that God's will is best for you. Oh. 
God's will is best for you. If God is my, quote, this is from Joan, if God is my center and my end, then I must accept the will of God, knowing that in it lies the fullness of life for me. So obviously it's all a challenge for all of us. It's a challenge for me. Um, the third step is being willing to receive direction. Benedict argues that the third rung on the ladder of humility is the ability to submit ourselves to the wisdom of another. The fourth step is endure and do not grow weary. This is the degree of humility that calls for emotional stability to persevere when things are hard and being patient. This is where we sometimes, quote, find God where God is not expected to be. And that came up earlier in uh, Jean's uh, reflection. The fifth rung in the step of uh, humility is acknowledge your faults. And this is about self-revelation, which is necessary for growth. Joan says the spiritual heart is a heart that has exposed itself. We don't need to pretend to be perfect, but we can accept grace from the gentle and wise hearts of people of quality around us. The sixth step is be content with less than the best. It's not always easy, is it? <laughs> we suffer in our culture from enoughness, and this step reminds us if we can learn to love life where we are, in what we have, then we will have room in our souls for what life alone does not have to offer. The sixth step is let go of a false sense of self. This is where we find self-acceptance and compassion for others and ourselves. These are very short capsules on each one of these, so there's a lot more to all of this and worthy of a great deal of reflection. The eighth step is learn from the community. Our communities have a great deal to teach us. They help us stay connected and realize we can't do it alone. We have much to learn from the wisdom of others. The ninth step is listen, and that is mentioned very often throughout the rule, listening. When we're silent and we listen, we are open to God and to the other. This is the ground of humility. The tenth rung is never ridicule. Benedict does not forbid humor, but we do need to take it seriously. The humble person does not ridicule, but handles the presence of others with compassion and a kind heart. Uh, the 11th, speak kindly. The way of humility is one of gentleness with others and being kind to others. Joan says, never heckling or smothering another with noise and derision, unquote. The 12th step, I think, is the hardest, is be serene. Quote, humility is the foundation of our relationship with God, our connectedness to others, our acceptance of ourselves, our way of using the goods of the ear, and even our way of walking through the world without arrogance, without domination, without scorn, without self-centeredness. The more we know ourselves, the gentle, gentler we will be with others, unquote. And I added just contemplation is a discipline that helps us achieve a pathway to serenity. One I have not mastered, and this is my personal challenge, <laughs> or one of many <laughs> personal challenges. Um, Joan says, and I must agree, that humility is a lost virtue in the 21st century and needs to be rediscovered for the benefit of us and the world we inhabit. 
I, uh, I wanted to go on and mention some things from Seeking God. Um, that was the first book that I was introduced to about the rule of St. Benedict. Hi, Michelle. <laughs> um, so uh, I want to tell you a little bit about that. Um, so I found the foundational pieces of the rule moved me to try to live by it in my imperfection as best I could. So these are the essential pieces in Seeking God, and they're, uh, most of them are here. There's a couple that I didn't go into, but the first one, of course, is listening, again. Uh, that's paramount. Doing so fully is difficult, but it's essential if we mean to find the God we seek. Another one is stability. The vow of stability is fundamental. We all need to feel at home. Without roots, we cannot discover where we belong, and growth eludes us. Stability is achieved through perseverance and patience. Change. We need to be open to change to meet life's challenges. It can be difficult. Uh, we've all been through difficult circumstances, and you know, having stability to kind of stay grounded, it helps us process and go through changes that may be very difficult for us to go through. Uh, Joan puts it this way, it is important that we too know how to read our own history to see the turning points, the moments of change, the unfolding of God's plan for us at each new step of the way, unquote. And I love what Esther DeWall says here uh, in her book, quote, it is important to see that seeking God, in fact, means that we give him the opportunity to find us. And silence is one of those avenues for that to be allowed to happen. Seeking God is not about acquiring something or excelling in something, but making progress towards God through our total dependence on his grace, end quote. And this is one of the hardest ones for me, balance. The rule helps us by creating an environment where a balanced life can be experienced. Moderation in all things and including room for the presence of Christ can help us find balance in our fragmented lives. So how many of you have fragmented lives? <laughs> Me too. And who have moderation? <laughs> oh, my husband teach me about moderation. He's very good at that. Hospitality. This is another very big part of Benedictine spirituality, hospitality. Benedict reminds us that all guests are to be welcomed as Christ, in spite of the challenge to see the Christ in everyone. Hospitality is one of the hallmarks of Benedictine spirituality. There's so much more, but I don't want to leave out the very heart of... Yes? Uh, I feel like we're getting all the, the, the AA mm -hmm. that you say about, but it would be helpful to me if you could give me a sense of what your day in the rule, your day, So for those at home, sorry, um, the question was give us a, a, an overview of kind of how you integrate the rule in your daily life. That's a big question. <laughs> um, the rule is, what it's done for me is it's just given me a sense a lot more about how I live, just move about my day and try to remember the things that I've learned from the rule. And so... Um, 
it's kind of a sense of presence. I mean, I have a Benedictine uh, medal that I wear, and it's a, it's a reminder that I'm trying to live the rule in my daily life. Um, my oblate group helps me do that. And um, uh, by remembering the, the various pieces of the rule and the pieces that are most important to me or speak the most to me, kind of help me move through my day with more patience and more understanding and more recept receptivity to other people. And um, I, there's times that it's really hard to see the Christ in other people. And that's something that you know I need to just remind myself of. I mean, with the political environment we've been in for quite a while, there's tensions in our families and so forth. And the rule has really helped me to be more accepting of the differences that I don't have any control over. So it's kind of giving it over. I don't know if I want to do that online. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, you know, I think it's affected families and um, our communities in, in really complicated ways. And if we could all listen to each other a lot better, I recently read a book called You're Not Listening. And I, I read that because I wanted to see if I was listening well enough. And no, I'm not. And so there's just you know, it's just a constant um, journey, just trying to do a better job about living my daily life, staying connected to a community that supports me and is affirming in my faith. So that may not totally answer your question, but I don't, I don't, um, I see life as a prayer, you know, and I, th and I, I think that it's true that no matter where we are, we're standing on holy ground, no matter what we do to it. You can't take the, the holy out of anything. It's just always there. And I don't know, the rule has helped me look at the world a little bit differently. Yes? My sense of what you're saying Can you use is... A mic? <clears throat> My sense of what you're saying is that it's not so much a set of rules that you live, right. but it's an orientation to your mm -hmm. life that changes your mindset right. and perhaps right. your attitude about it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and my perspective. Sure, absolutely. Um, let me finish with my remarks, and then if there's more questions, I'll be hanging around. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> um, so being open and trying to listen to God gives him a chance to come into your life. And um, I know because my life is pretty fragmented, and I'm more of a doer than, you know, just... Just that's, that's me. So I try to find moments of peacefulness in the midst of a busy life, and that gets complicated for all of us, I think. Um, for several options to study the rule, you might refer to the short, there's a short list of books there, and there's so many more about the rule of Benedict. As I told you, I dog-eared one copy of Joan's book, The Rule of Benedict, as well as Esther DeWall's Seeking God, and Esther has another book called Living with Contradiction. So that's another really good book. Um, they're a good place to start. And both authors break the rule up for easy digestion and understanding. They're, and they're good, they're, it's good for reflection. So one of the things I've done over the years is use this book. There's, it's broken up um, every single day. There's a reflection based on a, a rule. And the rule is broken up into pieces. So it's not just the rule. Then you have Joan's reflections. And it helps you look at it's like any kind of study that you want to do. If you want to do a daily reading, this works very well for that. So I was going to tell you a little bit about my oblate group. Um, we are called the Scholastica Deanery for 
St. Scholastica, Benedict's sister. Uh, we meet monthly, and over the years we've studied various the theologians, revisited the rule using Lectio Divina. A typical gathering includes a check-in time with each other, opening prayer and reflection, followed by Lectio Divina, and ending <coughs> with a 15 to 20 minute meditation. Those days I feel I just don't want to gather or I don't want to be there because I'm just feeling frazzled or overwhelmed. I still go and I always come away feeling grateful and blessed for the time shared with an incredible group of women who have become my spiritual sisters. They bring their individual gifts and insights to our gatherings as we continue to seek God together. Each year we go on retreat, usually at the Mount. Last fall we chose to focus on the Oblate Prayer breaking it into three sections and using Lectio Divina as a way to do some reflections on that. And it helped us flush out what was meaningful to us. So the prayer encompasses everything that I've talked about. If you're willing, I would love us to read this together slowly so we can reflect on the words. You might find a word or phrase you might find helpful as a mantra. Um, uh, no, the Oblate Prayer. And I'm sorry, I neglected to put the name of the woman who wrote this prayer, so I apologize for that. At the bottom of the page, you'll see the, uh, the medal of St. Benedict. There's a front and a back. And um, it's really more of a reminder just to remember that I made that vow 23 <coughs> years ago. Will you pray with me? Oh, loving God, I ask your blessing this day and all the oblates of St. Benedict and those with whom we are affiliated and those present this evening. Help us to become people of prayer and peace, those scattered far and wide. Help us to be together in the spirit of your love. Give us hearts wide enough to embrace each other as well as those whose lives we touch. Enable us to listen and to learn from each other and those around us each day. May we be models in our homes, neighborhoods, and communities of wise stewardship, dignified human labor, sacred leisure, and reverence for all living things. Above all, O oh God, may our presence among others be a constant witness of justice, compassion, and hope to all. Amen. I'll add one thing. Um, with the divisions that are going on, and we have a little tension in our, in our own family. Um, I think I just lost my train of thought. Of course, that very much age-related. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I know what it was. Um, I said I mentioned that I'm, I'm, I'm more of a person of action. It's hard for me to kind of sit down and spend a lot of time on reflection. So I have to make myself do that, um, and I do try to do that. Um, and uh, I'm doing it again. Um, so really, the phrase in here about being a model, I try to be a role model uh, with my own family about how I move about my world. And um, I have a lot of extroverts in my family and um, uh, with a lot of opinions. And so I, I have to find 
a peaceful center for myself in order to not respond in a way that I, I don't want to respond. So by trying to be a role model of what my belief system is and my values and so forth, the rule has helped me do that. It's helped me be a lot more peaceful in the times of conflict. So um, I will also say there are men and women who have become oblates, have studied the rule of Benedict. It's about a two-year process. And, um, and then uh, through a spiritual director or a mentor, you get put into an oblate group, or maybe there's a brand new one being created or what have you. And there's quite a few around the Kansas City area now. I'm, I'm not sure of how many. There's at least 12 to 15, I believe. Um, and they're all over the country. So uh, there's opportunities, if you're interested, to go on and to Mount St. Scholastica and put in oblates in the search, and you can learn a little bit more about that if you're interested. Um, I do know that they have a, um, I think it's four one-hour sessions on the rule that you can explore that option if you have any interest in it at all. Anyway, this is one type of, you know, spiritual journey for whomever, if it speaks to you. I know you're going to be hearing from others, and uh, we'll have many wonderful things to say. So, do you have any questions? Not sure I can answer it, but I can try. I don't have a question, but I have a comment. Okay. <laughs> um, you have an air of, of peace and... Um, just sort of an aura of comfort in the world, which I think is very impressive. So um, I, I suspect that comes somewhat from your study of, of Benedict. I, I hope so. I, I don't always feel that way. <laughs> I will tell you, it's really good for me to, to do this. I haven't um, spoken about it so publicly before. Um, I've done, it's been more on a one-on-one -on -one basis you know when you're learning getting to know someone and so forth you try to find out what you're involved in and that sort of thing and, and sometimes that comes up just depends on yes Kathy um, I actually witnessed this on a daily basis mm. um, when I was in Africa oh wow I mm. happened to live near the uh, convent Benedictine nuns oh how wonderful they were from Germany wow and you know, my being there, it was, every day was crazy. Hmm. I mean, until you, until you learn, you know, the ways. Mm -hmm. And I, I swear, they just embodied everything. Mm -hmm. And especially the endure and do not grow weary. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was fascinating to watch, mm -hmm. but also... I took total advantage of it hmm. because they saw me as <laughs> lost in the wilderness. <laughs> and so they invited me to their convent for a weekend. That's and, wonderful. Yeah. And, um, and the serenity. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm not sure I would have gotten through it without them, actually. That's wonderful. Yeah. There are, uh, Christ in the Desert Monastery is a wonderful place to visit. I've never done a retreat there. Yeah. I've driven out there because for 20 years my husband taught a writing class out there for, for a week in July, and we drove out there several times. Yeah, it's in uh, northern New Mexico, Abiquiu, New Mexico, where George O'Keefe painted. Uh, that's an incredible place to go visit, but um, that is also a Benedictine monastery. 
There's even one in Vermont called Weston Priory. And I have been there uh, before going skiing one time. Go in at 8 o'clock and you sit around the feet of the monks and then you go to the mountain and go skiing. Um, but of course at that time I knew nothing about the rule of Benedict, but that was a, uh, that's an amazing place. They've really um, helped a lot of people and over the years and harbored someone who was dealing with, you know, poor post-traumatic stress and just a variety of things. It just seems so selfless. It is. And I, if you ever go up to the Mount, that's a wonderful place just to go. If you just want to go for quiet time just by yourself for an overnight, it's not that expensive. You can eat with the sisters if you want to. You don't have to if you don't want to. If you want spiritual direction, you can sign up for that. So if you go up, if you go on the website, there's also uh, the Sophia Center. They have a huge library there. They offer all kinds of classes. Um, on a variety of things, and um, I went up there probably in the late, wait a minute, it was about 1994, um, I was up there, and uh, Sister Teresa Elias teaches a wonderful class on the Enneagram, and that was a Friday, all day Saturday, overnight Saturday night, and most of the day Sunday, and by 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon, none of us wanted to leave. Um, I mean, that's how powerful her presentation was and how meaningful it was. Um, the, the sisters up there are highly educated. They're um, social justice and peacemaking are so important, and um, they also convey that kind of serenity you talk about. There's just a peacefulness about them, and they're so welcoming and so compassionate. I mean, you just come home and you just feel like you've just been washed by the Holy Spirit from head to toe. Um, but it's a remarkable place to go, and um, I enjoyed going up there for our retreat, so that's been really a positive experience, and we usually have some kind of a focus when we do that. But you can actually just go up there. You can walk. They have an outdoor Stations of the Cross, and um, uh, yeah, it's a remarkable place. It's very interesting, so keep seeking, and you'll find. <laughs> Are there any other questions about the Rule of Benedict? I just have a question about maybe the like the practical. So you're an oblate, mm -hmm. and that's obviously different from being a nun. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a lay person studying, trying to live by the rule of Benedict. And there's like Ignatian spirituality. I think you're doing that maybe next week. Is that right? So um, uh, I have a friend that's studied that, and um, I'm sure it's not dissimilar. It's just you know uh, a, a different. Oh, no, no, no. It's just to um, embrace what the rule has to offer in my daily life as a lay person. <coughs> but I am connected to the mount in terms of having a community that's very supportive. And, um, and I can send a note up and say, I need prayers for this, this, or this. Now I'm an Episcopalian. Now I, I tell you that because I remarried 20, almost 27 years ago. And uh, I was at still at St. Michael in All Angels at the time, and my husband was at Second Presbyterian Church. So we were going back and forth for two years. And um, finally, I, I just couldn't do that anymore. I had to commit to one place. And um, since I accuse him of being a closet Episcopalian, <laughs> he wasn't going to become an Episcopalian, so I became a Presbyterian. So I've just kiddingly called myself an Episcopalian. I do wish we had communion every week. That's the one thing I've missed. 
So speaking of humility, the most humble I ever felt was when I went up to kneel at the rail to receive communion. Every week, that was such a good, a really good thing for me personally to do that. It's very important. Any more questions? Anybody want to share another story? I love the one about your experience in the monastery. There's a lot of stories. Oh, you may have to give a talk about that experience. Um, uh, Kathleen Norris has a wonderful book called Cloister Walk. You might think about that, about her experience of being involved with a Benedictine community, and um, that was that. I think that was that and Amazing Grace were probably the, my two favorite books of hers. Anybody else? I always thought Joan Chittister should run for president. I think I think the American people would actually vote for a, a Catholic nun <laughs> if she would run. Joan, Joan Chittister. If you've not read her, um, Rule of Benedict is good, but she's written a lot, a uh, lot of books. She has a lovely gift book that I, I really love. It's called The Illuminated Life, and it's just short pieces. It's a beautifully uh, calligraphied book with. Um, kind of almost iconic uh, paintings in there. It's just beautiful. Um, but she's written a lot of wonderful books. And Monastery of the Heart is one, I believe. Um, and there's other books that you can use for daily reflection. And her public speaking, you could probably find it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. you know, oh, look yeah, her up. absolutely. She, some of her public, C-H-I-T-T-I-S-T-E-R. It's on this list, yeah. Yeah, I've heard her speak a couple of times, um, and she, when she's been in this area, she stays at the Mount, so she knows the sisters up there. Anybody else? Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Marcia. I, I appreciate you sharing with us about Benedictine spirituality. And next week, we will have Father Don Compier with us. He will talk about uh, Ignatian spirituality. So if you're so inclined, I hope you come back next week. And with that, I hope you have a lovely remainder of your Thursday evening and safe travels getting home. Good night, everyone. Good night.